Hey everyone, Natalie here from The Pendulum's Path. If you need guidance, direction, spiritual connection, or more, then listen up. I have worked as a psychic and a medium for over three years, connecting people from all over the world with their loved ones in spirit, giving them insight and guidance into their current situations, the past healings that need to be worked on, and what it is they need to know today in order to have a better future. It would be my absolute honor if you would visit my website at www.thependulumspath.com. I also offer emailed readings for those with busy schedules too. Also, for you goblins who subscribe to the Esoteric Book Club, I have a special coupon code just for you. Enter the code STAYWEIRD to get $5 off of any order of $25 or more. Hope to see you there. The following report was given to Les O'Dell of the West Virginia Cryptids and Strange Encounters website. It took place in Lincoln County, West Virginia, approximately around 2011. The report says, I'd like to tell you about an encounter I had with a Bigfoot, but please keep me anonymous. This happened about 10 years ago, close to Branchland in Lincoln County. I was helping my brother. He had timbered a large part of his property and was then cutting it up into lumber in order to build his house. The sawmill was one of the portable trailer-type mills, and he wanted me to keep watch over it so that it wouldn't get stolen. So I was staying in his RV camper and watching over the sawmill. There wasn't much to do up there, so each night, me and my dog would go out and sit around a campfire. We had been doing the same routine for several months, and most nights were quiet. Occasionally, we got visited by an opossum or raccoon. Once, we even had a group of coon hunters come up and say hi to us. So, it was getting on around the start of January. It was a very cold and clear night, but it was pretty nice sitting by the fire. My dog alerted me that something was approaching our camp. He didn't bark, but let out kind of a low growl, and all of the hackles on the back stood up. Pretty soon, I could hear something heavy crunching through the leaves, walking up the hill straight towards us. I remember thinking that it was probably another dog, or maybe even a person. A few minutes later, it walked up to the edge of the firelight, just opposite me and my dog. It just stood there staring at us. It was about eight feet tall, and solid muscle. I could see it pretty well in the flickering firelight, and it very much resembled the silverback that I had seen in the zoo a few years before. Similar, yet different. Its face was too flat, and its back too straight. It had walked in a perfect bipedal fashion. It was too human-like, I was absolutely frozen to the spot in fear, as was my dog, who didn't react other than he continued to emit low growls and his hackles never went down. The Sasquatch slowly squatted down onto its haunches, and very, very slowly, it reached out with one arm and moved a sapling aside, as if it wanted a better look at me. Squatted down, we were about at eye level with each other, and we just stared at each other for what seemed like an eternity, although it probably only lasted no more than 20 seconds. 
Then it quickly released the sapling and stood up, looked away, looked back at me and my dog one more time, and then took off down the hill at a brisk pace. Just like that, it was gone. I will never forget this event. What you just heard was a single account from the book Old Man of the Mountain, the West Virginia Bigfoot, by Les O'Dell. And this is just one of three books that we're going to cover tonight. So grab some coffee and get cozy, because tonight is all about the stories. I'm your host, Jason, and you're listening to the Esoteric Book Club. back goblins tonight's episode is brought to you by grand inquisitor samantha grand inquisitor annie k and soul rising studios your contributions help pay server cost purchase reading material and helps pay for my palm reading lessons i really got to figure out why this one spot on my hand simply says no if you too would like to help support the show go to patreon.com forward slash esoteric book club. Now, let's get weird. I already mentioned our first book, The Old Man of the Mountain by Les O'Dell, but the other ones I have with me are The White Monsters of Sherman, New York by The Moth Boys, followed by UFO is a Bucket of Shit, a Gray Barker zine compiled by Michael Strayer. You may be wondering about the title of that last book. That's actually a line from one of Gray Barker's poems, which I will read in its entirety at the end of the show. But let's return to the Old Man of the Mountain. In the beginning of this book, Les provides some rather interesting history about the origins and name of this creature. The creature commonly known as Bigfoot today has been reported in 49 out of the 50 United States. Apparently, Hawaii doesn't have big, hairy bipeds. Now, the term Sasquatch actually comes from the Salish native language and is only about as old as the early 20th century. So when we're looking at historic accounts, we're really going to see different regional variations of names, Usually something along the lines of big, tall, hairy thing. When we come to the Appalachians, though, we find something a little different. Instead of being called the Wild Man or the Hairy Man, these creatures were known as the Stone Man. Some of this came from their tendency to throw stones, but it also refers to the fact that weapons didn't seem to hurt it. The following passage comes directly from the introduction to tonight's book. Bigfoot, or Sasquatch, is ancient history in the Appalachian Mountains. Throughout Appalachia, Native American tribes including the Cherokee, Delaware, Iroquois, Mingo, Seneca, and Shawnee, long ago, in variations, named the man-like being who lived alongside them. The Cherokee in the southern Appalachians 
named him the Stone Man. To the north, the Onondagas of the Iroquois Nation called the bean the Stanish Giant. Other tribes said the bean was he who is dressed in stone. To all Appalachian tribes, the Stone Man had a reputation for three things. He possessed magical powers. He was a trickster who enjoyed playing with humans. And, as with many big man legends in tribes across the continent, the Stone Man was a cannibal. To confirm Stone Man as a cannibal is problematic. However, he seems to have served the useful purpose of being the Appalachian boogeyman for Native American parents of small children. He was the monster who, if they wandered too far, might seize them and carry them away to his rocky lair. Outside of the introduction, this book is nothing but reports and accounts from actual witnesses throughout the state of West Virginia. There are 65 accounts, most of them only one or two pages long, and they start in 1921 and go all the way to 2018. Like I said earlier, tonight's going to be nothing but stories, so let's jump right in and just read a few more accounts. This next one took place in Preston County in 2014. My fiancé and I had just got done watching a movie when the dogs started barking. Then, within five minutes, they got really quiet and went into their dog houses. We thought this was strange, so we opened our back door toward where the dogs were barking a few minutes before and saw something near our mineral feeder for the cows. We live on a farm, and we had an unused mineral feeder in the backyard. It looked at first that it was on all four legs, and as big as the outline was, we assumed it was a bear until it stood up on two legs. Now, mind you, we still thought it was a bear because, well, you know, bears do stand on two hind legs. We had our back porch light on so we could see it, but the thing we saw was still about maybe 80 feet away. Anyway, what we thought was strange was after it stood up, it heard us at our back door, and it turned its head our way. And what it did, we saw big yellow-like eyes. We looked at each other to make sure that we were both seeing the same thing. Then we saw its side arm move, and it looked like it was below the knee. When it started to walk away, it walked mostly upright on two legs, swinging its arms, and still looking at us as it turned its head to the hayfield and walked away. To this day, we still can't explain what we saw, but we did see it. I find this next story especially interesting because of the way that wildlife reacted to the Bigfoot itself. It takes place in 2016 in Mercer County at Bluestone Lake. I seen something at Bluestone Lake two years ago. I was on the lake fishing, and when I popped around a point, something with black shining hair was kneeling down. When it seen me, it jumped up and ran up the hill on two feet. You could hear it breaking tree limbs and stomping up the hill. In just a minute or so, a deer came running out of the woods, jumped in the water, and came out almost to my boat. 
I have never seen a deer act like that one did. What I saw was not a bear. I've seen plenty of bears, and bears don't run on two feet. It could only have been one thing. Bigfoot. Now what's really interesting is in this book, immediately following that report, there's another one that takes place at Bluestone Lake. Only this one is 30 years prior. I seen something about 30 years ago while bow hunting on Indian Mills near Bluestone Lake. I was 15 at the time and it was late December, near the end of bow season at around 9 a.m., and I was in a ground blind on a ridge. I first thought it was a bear heading my way, walking down the ridge line, and I got a bit excited, but I noticed it was on two feet as it got closer. It then stopped about a hundred yards away at a tree, and appeared to sit down at the base of the tree, and I thought it was another hunter. I then started thinking there weren't a lot of folks hunting that late in the season. Just me and my uncle on that day. So I thought, that was odd. It appeared to be dark brown, and I couldn't make out any features or color variations. It then got up and started circling the tree on two legs at first, and then it would squat down for a bit, and then it would circle around some more on two feet, and kind of a duck walk. This went on for about ten minutes. I was getting a little nervous because it just didn't seem normal. I was getting a gut feeling that this thing wasn't a human, and I might have to shoot this thing if it comes my way, and all I had was my bow. Then, after that, it just went back to the same direction it had come from, until it went out of sight. I still remember it to this day. Let's do one more story before moving on to the next book. This story took place in Braxton County in 1987. The witness says, There's a Bigfoot in Braxton County. This, I guarantee you. Seven of us seen it in broad daylight coming up out of the Little Birch River near Frametown in our family camp. It was August 1987, about 11.30 in the morning. We just got done eating breakfast outside when my aunt heard something. We looked towards the river, and up over the riverbank came an eight-foot-or-better squatch. It walked right through our camp. When it reached the bottom of the mountain, there was a gas line right-of-way completely clear. It chose to go up through the woods and not use the gas line. My uncle tried to get close enough on an ATV to get a picture, but it was too fast as it crossed our property. It never looked at us or paid us any attention. It was going like it was on a mission. It was reddish-brown, had a cone-shaped head, no neck, and was about four feet wide. The next summer, I found signs of where I think this thing may have lived. I found rocks bigger than the car hood stood up on its end in a creek bed in the middle of nowhere, as if it were hunting for food. We don't own the property now, but I can take you to exactly where it happened. But many times we did hear screams in the night, and when you get into it, you're about seven miles in any direction to another human being. If it rains or snows, you just don't come out until it dries up or melts off. 
What you may have noticed in several of these stories is that there is a very particular speech pattern to the way that they are written. And this is important. It's because Les recorded the stories in this book exactly how they were spoken or written and delivered to him. There's no interpretation from the person taking the report. There's no exclusion, nothing left on the cutting room floor, so to speak. There's nothing added. These reports are from the witnesses in their own words. I feel like that is something crucial that has been left behind in a lot of previous encounter reports. We have seen it a few times in books like Silent Invasion, which is actually a very good comparison to this book. The main difference is that there's not a lot of extrapolation on the part of Les O'Dell, the author of Old Man of the Mountain. That's both a hindrance and a benefit. On one hand, people want to know what the author's impressions are of these stories. But on the other hand, you're able to read these stories without a third-party influence. Ultimately, I think this is a very good casebook for a very specific topic in a specific region. In this case, Bigfoot in West Virginia. If this sounds like something that you would enjoy, I'll go ahead and post a link to it in the show notes. Next up, we're going to look at another casebook for a very specific individual account. This is a book called The White Monsters of Sherman, New York. You may not have heard of these guys. It's pretty obscure. The background for this book is that the Moth Boys, the guys who researched it, actually are from New York, very close to where Sherman is. Now, they had been reading through some old John Keel books, and they found this letter that was sent by a teenage boy back in the late 60s, and it recounts these white, fur-covered creatures that he encountered on several occasions in the fields around Sherman. In fact, that original letter is reprinted in this booklet, so let's go ahead and read that so you know exactly what I'm talking about. I am writing because about three or four years ago, circa 1965-66, I saw a white monster in a swamp beside our house. I have been seeing these things ever since then, close to our home. One night, it came down in our yard. It stands between 12 and 18 feet high. It has a long tail between 6 and 8 feet long. It is all covered with hair. They are always white. I have seen them alone, or two at a time. It can walk on two feet or four feet. It is almost a double for a prehistoric sloth. My whole family has seen this thing, and I know of two more men who have seen them. I am 15 years old, and I am not kidding. I have seen these things, and they are real. Now, this letter was initially ignored by John Keel because he didn't feel there was really that much to go on. But he did reprint it later on in his book, The Complete Guide to Mysterious Beings. Now, this letter was posted in that book anonymously. So the Moth Boys, they had to go and track down who exactly sent this letter. 
After a bit of sleuthing, they found out that the letter was sent by a man named John Goodwill. And they found him. They reached out to him, and not only did he agree to go ahead and recount his story in greater detail, but he also met with them in Sherman, New York, so they could see exactly where all of this took place. In the beginning of this book, there's even a statement from John himself. The events you will read are true. Myself, my family, and others experienced these firsthand. I wish I could show you proof beyond a shadow of a doubt, but I can't. I wish I could tell you what they were, but I don't know. I wish I could tell you why they chose Western New York at that time, but again, I don't have a clue. I kept asking myself these same questions over and over again over 50 years. I still don't have answers. I doubt that I ever will. There are many things in this world that can't be explained, but that doesn't mean they aren't real. The older I get, the more I realize that there are always more questions than answers. These are my experiences with the unexplainable. Stay true to yourself, and don't be afraid to speak up and share. Keep asking questions, and you might be surprised. You may just get an answer. The rest of the book is a transcript of the interview that the Moth Boys did with John Goodwill. And then there's the eight encounters themselves that John had with these creatures over his lifetime. Much like you find in Old Man of the Mountains, this is a report of an encounter by the person who witnessed it. The additional information added to this book comes from the Moth Boys themselves, and it only really recounts how they went about the investigative process to find John in the first place. There's no real extrapolation on what they think this was, or where they think it came from. It's all a retrospective about their journey to record this local folklore from this area where they grew up, and yet had never heard about it themselves. Now this is by no means a large book, but it is very important. Like I said, Outside of that one anonymous letter that was published by John Keel in the 70s, there is no other report or account of this event. This small booklet has prevented this story from being lost to time. This provides a jumping-off point for future investigators. It allows them to find the details about the event from the witness themselves, it gives you the name and location of the road where these sightings took place. So if you wanted to, you could go investigate Sherman, New York yourself. At this point, you may be asking yourself, okay, this is really fascinating, so what exactly happened? Well, it's nothing super flashy, nothing spectacular. Basically, this kid and his family witnessed giant ground sloths out in some fields over the course of several years. Now, I'm not saying this to denigrate the event or the witness. I'm saying that this may be why John Keel didn't really investigate. It's not flashy. 
There wasn't an element of danger. There wasn't a sense of dread. Sure, the creatures startled the family a few times, but it wasn't like they were being preyed upon by an extra-dimensional entity. It was more like an extraordinary encounter with wildlife. Only in this case, it was wildlife that was supposed to have died out 10,000 years ago. If this sounds interesting to you, I'll post a link to the book in the show notes. Sales of the book actually go back and help fund the Moth Boys podcast. So if you're a fan of podcasting, especially independent podcasting, you might want to support them. Our final installment for the night comes from Mothboy Mike himself, and it's a zine rather than a book, and it's a collection of accounts, reports, articles, and, oddly enough, poetry from the researcher Gray Barker. Instead of doing a full biography on Gray Barker, I'm just going to read the introduction from this zine. In the last few months of 2022, I spent six Wednesdays, a total of 20 hours, at the Gray Barker Archives in Clarksburg, West Virginia. I was being pulled by some invisible force to visit the archives and learn more about Gray and the life that he lived. For those that may not know, Gray Barker was an author, paranormal investigator, and prankster from West Virginia. While going through what is essentially this man's life's work, I had no idea what I was doing there. It came to me after the need to go visit the archives disappeared that I was there to compile some of my favorite pieces of Gray's writing and get it to all of the people who can't easily make it to the archives. I see Gray as the underdog in the paranormal world, and, in my opinion, he deserves his work to be seen by more people. Now this zine is fascinating, not just because it has original articles that Gray had written in there, but because it also has some of the original typewritten pages and drafts of said articles. These articles were written at a time when it was all done on a typewriter. So with these drafts, you can actually see the original words that Gray had chosen to use, crossed out, and then rewrote. So you're not just seeing the report itself. You're seeing the thought process, the writing process, the intent of the paranormal investigator themselves. Now I mentioned in the introduction that the title of the book actually comes from one of Gray Barker's poems. So to start out, I'm going to read that poem to you. But first, let's change the mood a little bit. Let's add some ambiance. UFO is a bucket of shit. UFO is a bucket of shit. Its followers perverts, monomaniacs, dipsomaniacs, artists of the fast buck, true believers, objective believers, new age believers, Kehoe believers, shushed by the three men, or masturbated by spacemen. UFO is a bucket of shit. The AF investigated UFO and issued a report. Couched in polite language, 
which translated means, UFO is a bucket of shit. Mead Lane is a bucket of shit. Lex Meebane is a bucket of shit. James W. Mosley is a bucket of shit. Richard Ogden is a bucket of shit. Ray Palmer is a bucket of shit. And I sit here, writing, while the shit drips down my face in great rivulets. As you can hear, Gray had some rather strong opinions about the UFO topic. And yet, it was that very subject that helped him make a living. It's that strange dichotomy that makes Gray Barker such a fascinating individual. He was a great reporter. But he also made a lot of stuff up. He pranked John Keel drunkenly on several occasions. And yet, he always tried to report the events accurately. The sad part is, outside of the Fortean community, most people don't know who Gray Barker is. But he's the guy who brought us the Flatwoods Monster, the Grafton Monster, and even the Vegetable Man. But for the most part, his name is lost to history. But that specifically is why this small zine is so important. Gray Barker's archives are very well preserved in Clarksburg, West Virginia, and almost no one knows about it. Now, the tricky part is, in order to get this zine, you're going to have to write directly to the Moth Boys or track down Moth Boy Mike at one of the local events. It's going to take a little bit of work, but trust me, it's worth it. So that's all I have for you tonight. Just to recap, we covered Old Man of the Mountains by Les O'Dell, The White Monsters of Sherman, New York by the Moth Boys, and UFO is a Bucket of Shit, The Gray Barker Zine, by Mothboy Mike. I'll post as many links as I'm able to in the show notes. If you like what you just heard, consider joining my Patreon. But really, the best way you can help out the show is just to share it with your friends. Archive members, stick around. I'm going to be reading to you the original Gray Barker article on the Flatwoods Monster. For the rest of you, until next time, remember, keep it weird. Time once again to open the Esoteric Archive. This article is entitled The Monster and the Saucer by Gray Barker. The huge shape with the weirdly glowing eyes was seen by seven witnesses. Was it an alien life form? The following report was given to Les O'Dell of the West Virginia Cryptids and Strange Encounters website. 
It took place in Lincoln County, West Virginia, approximately around 2011. The report says, I'd like to tell you about an encounter I had with a Bigfoot, but please keep me anonymous. This happened about 10 years ago, close to Branchland in Lincoln County. I was helping my brother. He had timbered a large part of his property and was then cutting it up into lumber in order to build his house. The sawmill was one of the portable trailer-type mills, and he wanted me to keep watch over it so that it wouldn't get stolen. So I was staying in his RV camper and watching over the sawmill. There wasn't much to do up there, so each night me and my dog would go out and sit around a campfire. We had been doing the same routine for several months, and most nights were quiet. Occasionally we got visited by an opossum or raccoon. Once we even had a group of coon hunters come up and say hi to us. So it was getting on around the start of January. It was a very cold and clear night, but it was pretty nice sitting by the fire. My dog alerted me that something was approaching our camp. He didn't bark, but let out kind of a low growl, and all of the hackles on the back stood up. Pretty soon I could hear something heavy crunching through the leaves, walking up the hill straight towards us. I remember thinking that it was probably another dog, or maybe even a person. A few minutes later, it walked up to the edge of the firelight just opposite me and my dog. It just stood there, staring at us. It was about eight feet tall, and solid muscle. I could see it pretty well in the flickering firelight, and it very much resembled the silverback that I had seen in the zoo a few years before. Similar, yet different. Its face was too flat, and its back too straight. It had walked in a perfect bipedal fashion. It was too human-like. I was absolutely frozen to the spot in fear, as was my dog, who didn't react other than he continued to emit low growls and his hackles never went down. The Sasquatch slowly squatted down onto its haunches, and very, very slowly, it reached out with one arm and moved a sapling aside, as if it wanted a better look at me. Squatted down, we were about at eye level with each other, and we just stared at each other for what seemed like an eternity, although it probably only lasted no more than twenty seconds. Then it quickly released the sapling and stood up, looked away, looked back at me and my dog one more time, and then took off down the hill at a brisk pace. Just like that, it was gone. I will never forget this event. What you just heard was a single account from the book Old Man of the Mountain, the West Virginia Bigfoot by Les O'Dell. And this is just one of three books that we're going to cover tonight. So grab some coffee and get cozy, because tonight is all about the stories. I'm your host Jason, and you're listening to the Esoteric Book Club.
Welcome back, goblins! Tonight's episode is brought to you by Grand Inquisitor Samantha, Grand Inquisitor Annie Kay, and Soul Rising Studios. Your contributions help pay server cost, purchase reading material, and helps pay for my palm reading lessons. I really gotta figure out why this one spot on my hand simply says no. If you too would like to help support the show, go to patreon.com forward slash esoteric book club. Now, let's get weird. I already mentioned our first book, The Old Man of the Mountain by Les O'Dell, but the other ones I have with me are The White Monsters of Sherman, New York by The Moth Boys, followed by UFO is a Bucket of Shit, a Gray Barker zine compiled by Michael Strayer. You may be wondering about the title of that last book. That's actually a line from one of Gray Barker's poems, which I will read in its entirety at the end of the show. But let's return to the Old Man of the Mountain. In the beginning of this book, Les provides some rather interesting history about the origins and name of this creature. The creature commonly known as Bigfoot today has been reported in 49 out of the 50 United States. Apparently, Hawaii doesn't have big, hairy bipeds. Now, the term Sasquatch actually comes from the Salish native language and is only about as old as the early 20th century. So when we're looking at historic accounts, we're really going to see different regional variations of names, usually something along the lines of big, tall, hairy thing. When we come to the Appalachians, though, we find something a little different. Instead of being called the Wild Man or the Hairy Man, these creatures were known as the Stone Man. Some of this came from their tendency to throw stones, but it also refers to the fact that weapons didn't seem to hurt it. The following passage comes directly from the introduction to tonight's book. Bigfoot, or Sasquatch, is ancient history in the Appalachian Mountains. Throughout Appalachia, Native American tribes including the Cherokee, Delaware, Iroquois, Mingo, Seneca, and Shawnee, long ago, in variations, named the man-like being who lived alongside them. The Cherokee in the southern Appalachians named him the Stone Man. To the north, the Onondagas of the Iroquois Nation called the being the Stanish Giant. Other tribes said the being was he who is dressed in stone. To all Appalachian tribes, the Stone Man had a reputation for three things. He possessed magical powers. He was a trickster who enjoyed playing with humans. And, as with many big man legends in tribes across the continent, the Stone Man was a cannibal. To confirm Stone Man as a cannibal is problematic. However, he seems to have served the useful purpose of being the Appalachian boogeyman for Native American parents of small children. He was the monster who, if they wandered too far, might seize them and carry them away to his rocky lair. Outside of the introduction, this book is nothing but reports and accounts from actual witnesses throughout the state of West Virginia. 
There are 65 accounts, most of them only one or two pages long, and they start in 1921 and go all the way to 2018. Like I said earlier, tonight's going to be nothing but stories, so let's jump right in and just read a few more accounts. This next one took place in Preston County in 2014. My fiancé and I had just got done watching a movie when the dogs started barking. Then, within five minutes, they got really quiet and went into their dog houses. We thought this was strange, so we opened our back door toward where the dogs were barking a few minutes before and saw something near our mineral feeder for the cows. We live on a farm, and we had an unused mineral feeder in the backyard. It looked at first that it was on all four legs, and as big as the outline was, we assumed it was a bear until it stood up on two legs. Now, mind you, we still thought it was a bear because, well, you know, bears do stand on two hind legs. We had our back porch light on so we could see it, but the thing we saw was still about maybe 80 feet away. Anyway, what we thought was strange was after it stood up, it heard us at our back door, and it turned its head our way. And what it did, we saw big yellow-like eyes. We looked at each other to make sure that we were both seeing the same thing. Then we saw its side arm move, and it looked like it was below the knee. When it started to walk away, it walked mostly upright on two legs, swinging its arms, and still looking at us as it turned its head to the hayfield and walked away. To this day, we still can't explain what we saw, but we did see it. I find this next story especially interesting because of the way that wildlife reacted to the Bigfoot itself. It takes place in 2016 in Mercer County at Bluestone Lake. I seen something at Bluestone Lake two years ago. I was on the lake fishing, and when I popped around a point, something with black shining hair was kneeling down. When it seen me, it jumped up and ran up the hill on two feet. You could hear it breaking tree limbs and stomping up the hill. In just a minute or so, a deer came running out of the woods, jumped in the water, and came out almost to my boat. I have never seen a deer act like that one did. What I saw was not a bear. I've seen plenty of bears, and bears don't run on two feet. It could only have been one thing. Bigfoot. Now what's really interesting is in this book, immediately following that report, there's another one that takes place at Bluestone Lake. Only this one is 30 years prior. I seen something about 30 years ago while bow hunting on Indian Mills near Bluestone Lake. I was 15 at the time, and it was late December, near the end of bow season at around 9 a.m., and I was in a ground blind on a ridge. I first thought it was a bear heading my way, walking down the ridge line, and I got a bit excited, but I noticed it was on two feet as it got closer. It then stopped about a hundred yards away at a tree and appeared to sit down at the base of the tree, and I thought it was another hunter. I then started thinking there weren't a lot of folks hunting that late in the season, 
just me and my uncle on that day. So I thought, that was odd. It appeared to be dark brown, and I couldn't make out any features or color variations. It then got up and started circling the tree on two legs at first, and then it would squat down for a bit, and then it would circle around some more on two feet, and kind of a duck walk. This went on for about ten minutes. I was getting a little nervous because it just didn't seem normal. I was getting a gut feeling that this thing wasn't a human, and I might have to shoot this thing if it comes my way, and all I had was my bow. Then, after that, it just went back to the same direction it had come from, until it went out of sight. I still remember it to this day. Let's do one more story before moving on to the next book. This story took place in Braxton County in 1987. The witness says, There's a Bigfoot in Braxton County. This, I guarantee you. Seven of us seen it in broad daylight coming up out of the Little Birch River near Frametown in our family camp. It was August 1987, about 11.30 in the morning. We just got done eating breakfast outside when my aunt heard something. We looked towards the river, and up over the riverbank came an eight-foot or better squatch. It walked right through our camp. When it reached the bottom of the mountain, there was a gas line right-of-way completely clear. It chose to go up through the woods and not use the gas line. My uncle tried to get close enough on an ATV to get a picture, but it was too fast as it crossed our property. It never looked at us or paid us any attention. It was going like it was on a mission. It was reddish-brown, had a cone-shaped head, no neck, and was about four feet wide. The next summer, I found signs of where I think this thing may have lived. I found rocks bigger than the car hood stood up on its end in a creek bed in the middle of nowhere, as if it were hunting for food. We don't own the property now, but I can take you to exactly where it happened. But many times we did hear screams in the night, and when you get into it, you're about seven miles in any direction to another human being. If it rains or snows, you just don't come out until it dries up or melts off. What you may have noticed in several of these stories is that there is a very particular speech pattern to the way that they are written. And this is important. It's because Les recorded the stories in this book exactly how they were spoken or written and delivered to him. There's no interpretation from the person taking the report. There's no exclusion, nothing left on the cutting room floor, so to speak. There's nothing added. These reports are from the witnesses in their own words. I feel like that is something crucial that has been left behind in a lot of previous encounter reports. We have seen it a few times in books like Silent Invasion, which is actually a very good comparison to this book. The main difference is that there's not a lot of extrapolation on the part of Les O'Dell, the author of Old Man of the Mountain. That's both a hindrance and a benefit. On one hand, people want to know what the author's impressions are of these stories. 
But on the other hand, you're able to read these stories without a third-party influence. Ultimately, I think this is a very good casebook for a very specific topic in a specific region. In this case, Bigfoot in West Virginia. If this sounds like something that you would enjoy, I'll go ahead and post a link to it in the show notes. Next up, we're going to look at another casebook for a very specific individual account. This is a book called The White Monsters of Sherman, New York. You may not have heard of these guys. It's pretty obscure. The background for this book is that the Moth Boys, the guys who researched it, actually are from New York, very close to where Sherman is. Now, they had been reading through some old John Keel books, and they found this letter that was sent by a teenage boy back in the late 60s, and it recounts these white, fur-covered creatures that he encountered on several occasions in the fields around Sherman. In fact, that original letter is reprinted in this booklet. So let's go ahead and read that so you know exactly what I'm talking about. I am writing because about three or four years ago, circa 1965-66, I saw a white monster in a swamp beside our house. I have been seeing these things ever since then, close to our home. One night, it came down in our yard. It stands between 12 and 18 feet high. It has a long tail between 6 and 8 feet long. It is all covered with hair. They are always white. I have seen them alone or two at a time. It can walk on two feet or four feet. It is almost a double for a prehistoric sloth. My whole family has seen this thing, and I know of two more men who have seen them. I am 15 years old, and I am not kidding. I have seen these things, and they are real. Now, this letter was initially ignored by John Keel because he didn't feel there was really that much to go on. But he did reprint it later on in his book, The Complete Guide to Mysterious Beings. Now, this letter was posted in that book anonymously. So the Moth Boys, they had to go and track down who exactly sent this letter. After a bit of sleuthing, they found out that the letter was sent by a man named John Goodwill, and they found him. They reached out to him, and not only did he agree to go ahead and recount his story in greater detail, but he also met with them in Sherman, New York, so they could see exactly where all of this took place. In the beginning of this book, there's even a statement from John himself. The events you will read are true. Myself, my family, and others experienced these firsthand. I wish I could show you proof beyond a shadow of a doubt, but I can't. I wish I could tell you what they were, but I don't know. I wish I could tell you why they chose Western New York at that time, but again, I don't have a clue. I kept asking myself these same questions over and over again over 50 years. I still don't have answers. I doubt that I ever will. There are many things in this world that can't be explained, 
but that doesn't mean they aren't real. The older I get, the more I realize that there are always more questions than answers. These are my experiences with the unexplainable. Stay true to yourself, and don't be afraid to speak up and share. Keep asking questions, and you might be surprised. You may just get an answer. The rest of the book is a transcript of the interview that the Mothboys did with John Goodwill. And then there's the eight encounters themselves that John had with these creatures over his lifetime. Much like you find in Old Man of the Mountains, this is a report of an encounter by the person who witnessed it. The additional information added to this book comes from the Mothboys themselves, and it only really recounts how they went about the investigative process to find John in the first place. There's no real extrapolation on what they think this was, or where they think it came from. It's all a retrospective about their journey to record this local folklore from this area where they grew up, and yet had never heard about it themselves. Now this is by no means a large book, but it is very important. Like I said, Outside of that one anonymous letter that was published by John Keel in the 70s, there is no other report or account of this event. This small booklet has prevented this story from being lost to time. This provides a jumping-off point for future investigators. It allows them to find the details about the event from the witness themselves, it gives you the name and location of the road where these sightings took place. So if you wanted to, you could go investigate Sherman, New York yourself. At this point, you may be asking yourself, okay, this is really fascinating, so what exactly happened? Well, it's nothing super flashy, nothing spectacular. Basically, this kid and his family witnessed giant ground sloths out in some fields over the course of several years. Now, I'm not saying this to denigrate the event or the witness. I'm saying that this may be why John Keel didn't really investigate. It's not flashy. There wasn't an element of danger. There wasn't a sense of dread. Sure, the creatures startled the family a few times, but it wasn't like they were being preyed upon by an extra-dimensional entity. It was more like an extraordinary encounter with wildlife. Only in this case, it was wildlife that was supposed to have died out 10,000 years ago. If this sounds interesting to you, I'll post a link to the book in the show notes. Sales of the book actually go back and help fund the Moth Boys podcast. So if you're a fan of podcasting, especially independent podcasting, you might want to support them. Our final installment for the night comes from Moth Boy Mike himself. And it's a zine rather than a book. And it's a collection of accounts, reports, articles, and, oddly enough, poetry from the researcher Gray Barker. Instead of doing a full biography on Gray Barker, I'm just going to read the introduction from this zine. 
In the last few months of 2022, I spent six Wednesdays, a total of 20 hours, at the Gray Barker Archives in Clarksburg, West Virginia. I was being pulled by some invisible force to visit the archives and learn more about Gray and the life that he lived. For those that may not know, Gray Barker was an author, paranormal investigator, and prankster from West Virginia. While going through what is essentially this man's life's work, I had no idea what I was doing there. It came to me after the need to go visit the archives disappeared that I was there to compile some of my favorite pieces of Gray's writing and get it to all of the people who can't easily make it to the archives. I see Gray as the underdog in the paranormal world, and, in my opinion, he deserves his work to be seen by more people. Now this zine is fascinating, not just because it has original articles that Gray had written in there, but because it also has some of the original typewritten pages and drafts of said articles. These articles were written at a time when it was all done on a typewriter, so with these drafts you can actually see the original words that Gray had chosen to use, crossed out, and then rewrote. So you're not just seeing the report itself, you're seeing the thought process, the writing process, the intent of the paranormal investigator themselves. Now I mentioned in the introduction that the title of the book actually comes from one of Gray Barker's poems. So to start out, I'm going to read that poem to you. But first, let's change the mood a little bit. Let's add some ambiance. UFO is a bucket of shit. UFO is a bucket of shit. Its followers, perverts, monomaniacs, dipsomaniacs, artists of the fast buck, true believers, objective believers, new age believers, Kehoe believers, shushed by the three men, or masturbated by spacemen. UFO is a bucket of shit. The AF investigated UFO and issued a report. Couched in polite language, which translated means, UFO is a bucket of shit. Mead Lane is a bucket of shit. Lex Mebane is a bucket of shit. James W. Mosley is a bucket of shit. Richard Ogden is a bucket of shit. Ray Palmer is a bucket of shit. And I sit here writing while the shit drips down my face in great rivulets. As you can hear, Gray had some rather strong opinions about the UFO topic. And yet, it was that very subject that helped him make a living. It's that strange dichotomy that makes Gray Barker such a fascinating individual. He was a great reporter, but he also made a lot of stuff up. He pranked John Keel drunkenly on several occasions, and yet he always tried to report the events accurately. The sad part is, outside of the Fortean community, most people don't know who Gray Barker is. 
but he's the guy who brought us the Flatwoods Monster, the Grafton Monster, and even the Vegetable Man. But for the most part, his name is lost to history. But that specifically is why this small zine is so important. Gray Barker's archives are very well preserved in Clarksburg, West Virginia, and almost no one knows about it. Now, the tricky part is, in order to get this zine, you're going to have to write directly to the Moth Boys or track down Mothboy Mike at one of the local events. It's going to take a little bit of work, but trust me, it's worth it. So that's all I have for you tonight. Just to recap, we covered Old Man of the Mountains by Les O'Dell, The White Monsters of Sherman, New York by the Moth Boys, and UFO is a Bucket of Shit, The Gray Barker Zine by Mothboy Mike. I'll post as many links as I'm able to in the show notes. If you like what you just heard, consider joining my Patreon. But really, the best way you can help out the show is just to share it with your friends. Archive members, stick around. I'm going to be reading to you the original Gray Barker article on the Flatwoods Monster. For the rest of you, until next time, remember, keep it weird. It's time once again to open the Esoteric Archive. This article is entitled, The Monster and the Saucer, by Gray Barker. The huge shape with the weirdly glowing eyes was seen by seven witnesses. Was it an alien life form?